would take your Bibles out and turn with me to the book of 1 Timothy. We're going to be looking at 1 Timothy chapter 3 and chapter 4 today. And as you turn there, I want to bring you a, a word of, of greeting and hello from the um, Wilmington campus and the Loma Coffee Shop. I want you to know that God is doing great things down there. And so I wanted to just begin this morning, give you just a little bit of update and tell you a little bit about what God is doing. I heard last week that, not this past week, but the week before that, Loma Coffee had one of its greatest sales weeks of its history. It sold the most coffee. And so God is blessing the coffee shop. But then also last week it had the, uh, broke a record for the most sales in the day. So things are happening and hopping down at the coffee shop. And as far as the church goes, the church is being blessed greatly as well. We are um, just now beginning to see a lot of people from the community connecting and and becoming a part of our worship service. Uh, We've just recently had six visitors from the apartments upstairs that came down and uh, visited the church. And they came not because they didn't come as a collective group. They came individually. So God is moving and God is doing good things. So I continue to ask you to pray for the work of our church down there and uh, what God is doing. We're going to hopefully see continued fruit in the years um, to come. And So thank you for all that you do for the church down there. But I'm here today to preach and to continue our series as we've been taking a look at uh, One Church Firmly Rooted. Now, this is a, a sermon series that we began several weeks ago trying to help us define and understand how do we, as how does our church fit into God's bigger picture for the church and how does our individualness connect into God's plan for the church. And so we've been taking a look at the metaphor of a grove, or we've been looking at a metaphor of a specific tree. And so we began taking a look at how individual believers get connected into the body of Christ, or the larger group of trees known as the church. And we are connected in that way through our faith. But then we began taking a look at some of the distinctions among different groups of trees. So last week we shared a little bit about what makes us distinct in the fact that as a group of believers in a group of churches that we connect to the Southern Baptist Convention and how that, how our theology um, connects us together with a larger group of people. But also within our denomination, within the Southern Baptist denomination, I want us to look at um, the differences among the different churches that make up the denomination. So for example, there are a a myriad of different types of trees out there. Now, trees are are made to produce fruit or produce something. And if we look at different types of fruit trees, we see that there are orange trees, we see that there are banana trees, we see that there are pear trees, we see that there are apple trees. And that makes distinctions in some ways of the different denominations that are out there. So for us, we could be considered more of the apple trees as the Southern Baptist Convention. That's what makes us a little bit distinct. So if you go into Southern Baptist churches in the North America, you go to Southern Baptist churches at the ends of the earth, you can see that they share the same theology. So they're all as such like apple trees. Now, if you look within the variety of apples, there are lots of different varieties. There are Macintosh, there are Red Delicious, there are Fuji apples, there are Gala apples. There are a bunch of different types of apples among the apple trees. And that's what I want us to look at today, what we're going to look at for the next few weeks, is as an apple tree, we are distinct and there are differences that we have in the local level that is different from other Southern Baptist churches. And we're going to give you some of those distinctives as we walk through. The one we're going to take a look at today, what makes us distinct from other Southern Baptist churches, and we also share with some Southern Baptist churches, is that we hold to a shared pastoral leadership. We share pastoral 
leadership. And so that's what we're going to take a look at today, and that's why I'm here and Pastor John is down in Wilmington. We're displaying that to the church as, as a whole, that we share our pastoral leadership. So that's why I will pre- be preaching here sometimes, John will be preaching down there, and vice versa. And Terry is all over the place, so um, we get to see Terry all the time, and, and we are blessed by him. But that's what makes us somewhat distinct. So we're going to look at that today. And what we've been doing for this series is we've been looking at the letters of Paul. We've been taking a look at his writing as God has used Paul to be an apostle for the church. God has used Paul to set the foundation that has been laid on Christ. Paul comes in and helps give guidance and structure to the church as it begins to grow. And so we've been taking a look at his letters to churches. And as we've looked at them, we've seen he's written to churches of regions. So he's written to regions like in Galatia. He wrote to all the churches of Galatia. We also see that he writes specific letters to specific churches or churches of a city, such as Ephesus or Ephesians. But then we also see, and we're going to look at today, some of Paul's specific writings to specific leaders within churches. So today we're going to take a look at 1 Timothy. Now, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus are what's known as the pastoral epistles. Now, these are letters that he wrote to leaders within the churches to help give instruction or to help give guidance in their leadership. So, having said all that, let's begin looking at the letter that he writes to Timothy. And we're going to look in chapter 3, and I'm going to read chapter 3 and chapter 4. And as we do, take on the mindset as though you are a reader of a letter from Paul, who is giving some instruction. So that's what we're going to see here, beginning in verse 1 of chapter 3. Here is a trustworthy saying. If anyone sets his heart on being an overseer, he desires, desires a noble task. Now the overseer must be above reproach, the husband of but one wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not given to drunkenness, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him with proper respect. If anyone does not know how to manage his, manage his own family, how can he take care of God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become conceited and fall under the same judgment as the devil. He must also have a good reputation with outsiders, so that he will not fall into disgrace and into the devil's trap. Deacons, likewise, are to be men worthy of respect, sincere, not indulging in much wine, and not pursuing dishonest gain. They must keep hold of the deep truths of the faith with a clear conscience. They must first be tested, and then if there is nothing against them, let them serve as deacons." In the same way, their wives are to be women worthy of respect, not malicious talkers, but temperate and trustworthy in everything. A deacon must be the husband of but one wife and must manage his children and his household well. Those who have served well gain an excellent standing and great assurance in their faith in Christ Jesus. Although I hope to come to you soon, I am writing you these instructions so that if I am delayed, you will know how the people ought to conduct themselves in God's household, which is the church of the living God the pillar and foundation of the truth. Beyond all question, the mystery of godliness is great. He appeared in a body, was vindicated by the Spirit, was seen by angels, was preached among the nations, was believed on the world, on in the world, and was taken up in glory. The Spirit clearly says that in later times some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Such teachings come through hypocritical liars whose consciences have been seared with a hot iron. They forbid people to marry and order them to abstain from certain foods, which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and those who know the truth. 
For everything God created is good and nothing is to be rejected. And if it is received with thanksgiving because it's, it's consecrated by the word of God and prayer. If you point these things out to the brothers, you will be a good minister of Christ Jesus. Brought up in the truths of the faith and the good teachings that you have followed. Have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives tales rather than train yourself to be godly. For physical training is of some value, but godliness is value for all things. Holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. This is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. And for this we labor and strive. That we have put our hope in the living God. Who is the savior of all men. And especially of those who believe. Command and teach these things. Do not let anyone look down on you because you are young. But set as an example for the believers in speech, in life, in love, in faith, and in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of scripture, to preaching and to teaching. Do not neglect your gift which was given you through a prophetic message. When the body of elders laid their hands on you. Be diligent in these matters. Give yourself wholly to them. So that everyone may see your progress. Watch your life and your doctrine closely. Persevere in them. Because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for loving us. And Father, we thank you for your word that we have today. Father, we pray that this time that our hearts and minds would be open to hear the instructions that you give us through your word. Father, continue to mold and shape us so that we may be the servants that honor you and bring glory to you and are effective for you in preaching the gospel to the ends of the earth. Father, as we learn today about leadership and structure and and responsibility within the church, Father, help us to understand that more deeply and to walk more closely with you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So as we begin talking about shared pastoral leadership, I think chapter 3 and chapter 4 of 1 Timothy give us good guidance. So that's the first thing I want us to see this morning as we look at chapter 3. Chapter 3 is set up to give guidance for the church in the area of leadership. So it gives guidance for the church in the area of leadership. So Paul here is giving instructions to Timothy, who is serving as pastor or leader of the church of Ephesus. Now what Paul is not doing here in this letter is he's not giving the church a manual. He's not saying, here is the manual to which you are to govern and to guide your church. He's not saying this is a step-by-step process. Step one, do this. Step two, do this. That's not what he's saying. Instead, what he's saying is he's giving some, some guidelines. Not rules, but guidelines or parameters that have freedom through which the church can live and grow. So as we look here in chapter 3, we see Paul is giving instructions or he's giving guidelines or giving, pulling out the bigger picture of church leadership. And he walks through in chapter 3 of looking at overseers and deacons. So as we look here, we see that there are some things that are not negotiable. Here are the parameters that he gives. He says, as you're looking for overseers and deacons, these are the characteristics of these leaders that you're supposed to look for. So if we look at verses 1 through 7, he's given us the parameters or the non-negotiables that should be evident in the lives of people that we call out to serve us as leaders. Then he goes on from there and talks about deacons. He goes on from verses 8 on down. 
to 13, from 8 to 13, he's focusing on deacons. These are the characteristics. This is what the life of a deacon should look like. But then he goes on, so he gives us the parameters, but then he goes on and says, here's the freedom in this. For if we look here, he uses different terms in this letter. He begins by talking about elders, or he uses the term pastors, or he uses the term overseers. So we see here that he talks about overseers in the beginning part of chapter 3, but if we flip to chapter 5, he's talking to the same group of people and calls them elders. So even in the New Testament, we see there's an interchangeableness of the definition of this position. Some passages refer to elders, some refer to pastors, some refer to overseers. So these words are used interchangeably. So in some sense, there is some freedom for the church as they are developing their leadership structure to call that those different positions different things. But basically what Paul is saying is within each church, there should be those that are responsible for leading And that there there are those that are responsible for serving. And so he he says, those are the things that you should have. What you call them and how they look may be different among different churches. So he gives us some some of that that benefit there. So I wanted to, just for a moment, help us walk through the development of leadership within the people of God. I wanted us to walk through and see how what we have today ties into God's plan that he's had before the foundations of the earth. And we see it carrying through the Old Testament into today to show and to see through Scripture that what we are doing today um, as pastors and as a church in leadership is not far from Scripture, but is founded in Scripture. For we know, we go back into the Old Testament, we can see that what sustained and what God had for the people of God as leadership was a general patriarchal system. There was always, typically there was always a man that God's spirit came down on and the spirit dwelled in that leader and that leader led God's people. Now it was possible for the spirit of God to come down and to leave, such an example of of King Saul. King Saul had the spirit of God come down and indwelt him for a time. And when he turned away from the Lord, the spirit of God left him. And so he was leading God's people with the Spirit. And so we see this patriarchal system that began with with Abraham. Abraham was a man that began um, leading God's people. He had the Spirit of God with him. We see that through Moses. We see it through David. We see it through the prophets. The prophets were those that led in the power of the Spirit of God, and the people of God were led under them. And we also see that through the judges. We see that even in the judges, as God raised up a judge, that judge had the Spirit of God on them and led God's people. And what's amazing about all the Old Testament and the way that it's structured around one singular leader is that we look back and we see that God's people should always be led by a single person. Because Moses, Abraham, um, David, all of them pointed towards Christ. For we see in Christ, Christ is the best Moses. Christ is the better David. Christ is the best prophet. Christ is the best judge. And so we see all of those singular leaders pointing to a person, Christ. And Christ has come and Christ has fulfilled and been and is the greatest leader. He is the ultimate pastor. He is the ultimate teacher. He's the ultimate king. He is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. So he is the ultimate. And so when Christ came, he came and he lived and he established the church. And we saw in in the previous passages that we've looked at in this sermon series that Christ becomes the cornerstone of 
the church, from which everything else grows. The church is founded and it finds its life in the roots of Christ. So Christ becomes the ultimate head of the church. Christ becomes its ultimate leader. But now what is also taking place is as Christ has come to establish the church, the Holy Spirit no longer just indwells one person, but because Christ has come, he's opened the way for the Holy Spirit to come and indwell every single person that places faith in Christ. So we all have the Holy Spirit within us, and the Spirit doesn't leave us. The Spirit, once it comes in, doesn't leave us. And instead, the Spirit comes in and empowers us to live a life for Christ and is there with us until we go stand before the Lord and enjoy him for eternity. So the Holy Spirit indwells all believers. That's why we believe in the priesthood of the believers. We believe that everyone that claims to have faith or professes faith in Christ has the full power and presence of God indwelling in them at all times. But then we move on as the church is continuing to grow, is founded on Christ, the Spirit's now indwelling all of these people. We see in Acts chapter 6, as leadership in the church begins to grow, that there was something taking place. Now at the time as the church is beginning to grow, there, were, there was a lot of need. In Acts chapter 6 it says that there were widows being overlooked from the daily disbursement of food. Now, people would come to the church to gather food or to get food and to find their life. And what was taking place is some of the the widows were being overlooked. And so what the people did is they called out to the leaders. And what we see here is that there were numeral or a plurality of leaders among the church and over the church at this time. For they come and respond, or they come to the twelve apostles, and they say, Apostles, these widows and orphans are or these widows are being overlooked. So what are we supposed to do? And we see their response. The apostles gather together and say, it is not good to neglect the word of God to serve tables. So what they're basically saying is, as the apostles, as we have gathered together, it is not good for us to do away with the word of God just to serve tables. Because caring for the word of God is an immense task. It's an immense responsibility. And we ourselves must be carers and caretakers of this and also help others to understand this. So they say, because this problem has arisen, this is what we want you to do. So they go and they give guidelines to the church for finding servants. Go find men of good reputation. Go do this. These men that you need, that you want to serve you, here are the guidelines for them. Now, here's the freedom. Go and find them. So the responsibility to choose the people to serve rested on the people of God. So by the time Paul writes 1 Timothy, the church has continued to grow. Now the church at this time is not meeting in great sanctuaries. The church is not meeting in huge coliseums. The church is actually meeting in homes. And Timothy is is given charge over the church at the Ephesus region. And there may have been at this time, as, as Paul is writing to Timothy, there may have been a numerous, among the city of Ephesus, there may have been numerous house churches. So a pocket of, of believers were, were meeting over in this part of the city. A pocket of believers were believe, meeting over in this part of the city. And there were pocket believers meeting in the central part of the city. And so they were all over the city meeting in house churches. And Paul gives Timothy instructions to go and to oversee all of the churches of that region. So basically, Paul is potentially giving charge to have and provide leadership of the churches of Ephesus, the churches of Ephesus, or the idea of the church of Ephesus. 
So there's a distinction there. He's either the leadership of the churches of Ephesus, so all these little churches coming together, or he's giving uh, leadership to the church of Ephesus, the biggest, the bigger picture. So we see that there is freedom among the people of God to decide in a ways that they will be structured. Now, the only thing that's not negotiable in the way that a church is structured or a group of churches is structured is that it must be laid on the foundation of Christ and have Christ at its head. Therefore, today, as, as of today, the churches and local churches uh, around the world, we can see that local churches organize themselves in three main leadership structures. Now, you can look at our world today and you can see that there, there are a myriad of different uh, denominations. And in, among the different denominations, there are different leadership structures. But basically, if you boil them all down, you can take all the leadership structures of the church and you can group them in three large groupings. So the first group of leadership structures is what's known as the Episcopal leadership structure. This is a form of government where the major authority lies in the office of bishop. Bishop is the authoritative role. And so as you have a group of collection of churches in a particular city or a particular area, there's always a bishop that rules over that, gives oversight, gives direction, helps give vision. But also on the singular level, there's always a pastor or leader in that church or in that congregation. So then you have a bishop that oversees a collection of churches. And then above that, you have a bishop or overseer that oversees the larger structure. And eventually, all the way up to the top, there's usually a group or a person that serves as the bishop overall. Okay, so that's one leadership structure. And we know that there are churches in our area that follow that leadership structure. So that, the di- main difference is the authority, lies at the, the authority of the church lies at the bishop level. The next uh, type of leadership is the Presbyterian. And this is a typical um, structure in which the authority lies in the group of elders of the specific congregation. So the authority lies in a group of leadership over that specific local church. So you'd have, if there was a decision that the church needed to, to make, there was a group of elders that would provide leadership to that, and they would make the decision for the rest of the body. Now, there's also a collection in the Presbyterian model of where um, churches gather together and elders, larger groups of elders, meet to decide for larger groups of churches. So it's, it's also the local level, but it's also the, um, the regional level, but also the national level. And so the Presbyterian have, so it's elder-led and elder-ruled. But then you also have the congregational model. Now, this is the model that Baptist churches follow. We believe, as a congregational model, that, the, that we as an independent church have autonomy from no other, we have, we have autonomy from no other uh, ecclesial body, that there's no other group of churches that speaks into what we should do and how we should live. We ourselves, the power lies in the people, the power lies in the congregation. So the ultimate authority within the congregational level is Christ, but on the local level, it's congregation. So if the church is going to decide to do something, it's not going to be a person. It's going to be the people. That's why next week we're having the vote over the name. It's not something that that, uh, a group of deacons can just decide or a committee can just decide. No, it's up to the church. And so that's the congregational model where in the congregational model you still have um, leadership. And even in the congregational model, the, the church itself may choose to be inv- involved in local associations, 
um, national associations, but they are used not, as way, not in a way of um, speaking into the local church, but as a way of working together to cooperate to carry out the mission of the church. And so in the congregational churches, we also see that there are pastors and deacons. And most of the time, in, in, in Southern Baptist life, what has happened over the time is that there usually it has been a single elder and a team of deacons. That's a model that many, many churches have used for, for many, many years, where you have a pastor and you have deacons. But again, the ultimate voice of the church is the church. The pastors usually provide leadership. They're the teachers and preachers and give administration, whereas the deacons are the, the servants and the ones that help carry out the work of the church. Now, there's a challenge to, to that model where you have a single pastor providing leadership and vision for the church is that it is a responsibility and a, a, an overwhelming task that is a lot that the church is asking the pastor to do. When you, cover, when you go through a single elder and a team of deacons, you're asking the pastor basically to become an expert in all things. The pastor needs to be the, the best preacher. He has to have extensive experience in finance. He has to have extensive experience in counseling. He has to have extensive experience in leadership development. He has to be the best marketer. He has to understand strategic planning. He has to understand pastoral care. He has to understand cooking because the church has fellowships. And so if the pastor needs to understand cooking, now I understand eating, um, but I may not understand so much about cooking. And, and he also must be the, the best in worship and music and understand everything. Like I remember growing up always having the perception that the pastor was the one that preached and his wife was the one that played the piano, right? So you've got to be an expert in all those things. And so as I grew up and I was thinking about, God, I feel you calling me to pastor. And I'm like, God, I don't have extensive background in finance. God, I don't have extensive background in music. I can't even play. My wife doesn't even know what a piano is. So how can we be pastors? And, and, or how can I be a pastor? And so um, that model is good and it works. It works on some levels. I've been in many, many churches where there, the church was a, as of a size where it only needed a pastor and deacons. But as the church grows and as the responsibility and the influence of the church grows, there's a great challenge for it all to fall under a pastor. And I'm so thankful that we here understand that and see that as a church that we have brought on and have the understanding of a shared pastoral leadership. For in that, we're not expecting any one pastor to be an expert in all things. We're just expecting our pastors to be experts in some things. And we look for, as we look to to see who should lead us as pastors, we look to see where their their gifts lie and make it well-rounded. I'm so amazed at the pastoral leadership that God has put together in this church. You are served. You are served by great pastors. And I'm excited to come in and be a part of Pastor Terry and Pastor John. Do you not realize how blessed you are? Pastor John is an amazing man of the word. I love studying the Bible with him and hearing his deep insight and the way he just understands it and the way that he's able to craft words in such a way to communicate the deep truths of God. And I love Terry. I love Pastor Terry. I love the way he brings a creative side to, to the team and the way he's able to, to step in and, and to say, okay, yeah, that's really heady, but this is how it works out in my life. And he's able just to speak a very practical word into, in, into church and into the life of our church. 
So we are blessed. I don't know where I fit. I'm not really a gifted speaker. I'm not musically inclined. I just love people. So maybe that's, that's what, I, what I bring. But it is so amazing. I wish that you could just at a time be like a fly on the wall when the three of us get together and we're talking about the Word of God. It's a time of deep challenge. In some ways, I almost feel like as I'm walking into those, those meetings together, I almost feel as though um, the mask has to come off. I almost feel as though there's, I can't hide anything. Like if I'm struggling, I can't hide it from my brothers. I have to come out and just say, hey guys, I'm, I'm struggling with this. And I remember times we've been meeting together and we've been studying a passage and it's just like, Guys, can we stop? I just need prayer. I'm, I'm struggling with this decision. And it's almost as though we provide care for one another. And it's, it's a really, really neat thing. But God has blessed us with a varying of gifts and different responsibilities. But in all, he helps us give more leadership to the church. So on this team, my main responsibility is to provide pastoral leadership in Wilmington to the group that meets there at Loma Coffee. John's is here at Hokeston, and Terry does both. Terry does everything. He's like the jack of all, all trades, where he can walk into any place, and everyone's like, hey, Terry. Everybody knows Terry. I'm walking with him around town, and everyone's, everyone seems to know Terry, so it's great. And, you know, as, as we look in years to come to, to continue to pray about where's places to spread, other campuses to begin, we know that the God will add others to our pastoral team. And they will also bring their own gifts and talents and abilities to the table and help give a better picture of what Christ has for his church. So that's what makes us a little bit distinct. It's not that way in all of the churches. But that's what makes us distinct. So we see that Paul gives some insight to that and some structure to that in chapter 3. But then he goes on into chapter 4. And in chapter 4, he gives some responsibilities to these specific church leaders. In verses 1 through 5, he tells... The responsibility of church leaders are to guard the church. He says, guard the church. For what's going to take place is that there will be some in later times that will come and abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits that, in things that are taught by demons. So he says, be on your guard. For as leaders of the church, you must be aware that there will always be forces out there seeking to detract the power and the people of God. And these forces will come from without, but they'll also come with, from within. So there will always be a tendency for the church to move or shift to the left or to the right. There will always be that tendency for the church to shift to the left or to the right. And, and Paul is encouraging Timothy to stay in the center. So what he gives here is an example of a shift towards legalism. Where there was encouragement, he says, if this comes and you hear people saying, no, don't marry, hold off being married, hold off being married. He says, instead, be aware of that. That's not of the Lord. So he says, be aware of that shift to the right. But it's interesting today, in the culture we live in, of the need for us to be more aware from switching to the left. We're not in a church that, in a, in a culture that says church move towards legalism. We're in a, in a position where the church is saying move towards liberty. And pastors of churches are supposed to speak into those issues in culture today. As pastors and as churches, we are to push back against the shift of our culture that goes against keeping us in the center. The center that is founded on the word of God and the truth of God. And it's interesting today 
about how many of you read your e-newsletter this week? In there, there's a, a section where, where Pastor John has met with other pastors in our local area, and they have come to de- develop this document called One Voice. It's the voice of pastors of our area that are speaking out against the definition of marriage, or defending the definition of marriage. For we know in our own um, government now, there is a, a bill, there is a, a discussion, there is a debate on trying to redefine what marriage is. And so there's a need, there's a great need for the church, but there's also a great need for pastors to band together and say, no, this is what we believe. As our lives are founded on the word who walk in Christ, we need to make sure that we are defending this thing called Marriage. So that's what Paul is talking about. He's got to guard the church. He's got to guard the church against those things. But he also gives some, some ideas and some ways in which we are to guard. You're supposed to guard the church publicly in verse 11. Guard the church publicly. And you do that through commanding and teaching these things. Command and teach these things. Preach and teach the word of God. Preach and teach the full counsel of Scripture. Preach and teach everything that's in here, not just your favorite passages, not your just favorite ideas, but preach the full counsel of Scripture. For we as pastors and preachers only have one message. The only message that we have is Christ. And this is the message that Christ has come to save us who have rebelled against Him. He has come to give His own life to step in our place and to provide forgiveness. That's our only message. That through faith and repentance, we may follow Him. So Paul is saying, preach that publicly. Command and teach these things. But then we also see personally. In verse 6, he says, if you point these things out to the brothers. So in some ways, there's a personal aspect to preaching and teaching. It's really hard for a a pastor that, that lives above or disconnected from his people to really speak into the lives of members. That's why I think it's important for, and scripture teaches that it's important for pastors to live among the members, members, to live not above or disconnected from them. I can imagine, and I see this happening, and we've struggled with this here too, that for pastors, it's, it's, it there creates a challenge for church members if their only connection to the pastors is to see them on a screen or on a TV. It's hard for that pastor that's only there on a screen or a TV to speak into the life of an individual believer. That's why it's important for us to care for, to watch the lives of each other closely, and to redirect and encourage those lives. So there's an important aspect of where in which the pastor looks over the, the, the people and sees their lives and has an opportunity to come in and say, hey, I see this is what's going on in your life, and this is what the Word of God says about that. Let me help you. Let me encourage you. Let me walk with you along with that. So we see that, but we also see that uh, Paul instructs leaders to watch over themselves. Not only just watch over the body, but watch over themselves. In verses 6 through 11, we see that there's this this need to look over yourself inwardly. Watch over your doctrine, watch over yourself, watch over yourself so that you don't go to the left or to to the right. Be a man of the word. Be, aware of, be a man of the word so that you can be aware of these false doctrines. Walk more closely with the Lord so you can speak into them, into yourselves. So inwardly, but also outwardly. Verses 12 and 13 shows us that as well, that we are to show physical discipline, but even more so, we're supposed to share and show spiritual discipline. 
We're supposed to set ourselves as an example for all believers in speech, in life, in love, in faith, and in purity. What that basically means is that the leaders of God's church are supposed to spend so much time in this that it leaves an imprint on them, that it changes their behavior. Now that word for example that Paul uses there is like taking a quarter and pressing it into the palm of your hand. You press it in there so much that when it leaves, what remains? The input of the quarter, right? That's what he's saying. It changes your physical makeup by allowing this to connect with your whole being and your whole life. That as you leave it and walk in your daily life, you look more like it. That's a great responsibility. So we watch over ourselves inwardly and we watch over ourselves outwardly. But then lastly, we see that he also instructs them to serve the church. In verse 15 talks about these spiritual gifts that we're supposed to use, the giftedness that we each have. Every leader of the church is supposed to utilize their giftedness for the church through service. However God makes different leaders, he uses them and wants them to utilize their specific giftedness and understand that it's not for themselves, but it is for the church. Church leaders are responsible to minister the church. And in our way of doing it, there, we have a shared pastoral leadership. I believe it enriches the church. I believe it enriches you as allowing there to be multiple pastors that are leading and overseeing the, the church. For in it, it helps protect pastors from pride. That's a great thing because it is so easy as, as a man continues to get pushed up and pushed up and have more responsibility over a great amount of people. What that natural tendency can do is lead that person into pride. And we want to be very careful about that. For we all know that there's a tendency within us to want to be prideful. And I think by sharing that pastoral leadership, it helps other brothers call that out in another brother. The second thing by having shared pastoral leadership, it helps protect the pastor from falling. For there's immediate accountability. For we also know, we've heard the stories and we've seen that pastors fall every single day. It's very rare that you go a couple months and not hear about a pastor that's done this or a pastor that's done that. And so we are very aware of that, that the potential for us to fall is there. And I pray to God every single day that God helps me not fall, but I know I'm so close to the edge all the time. And it's only by the grace of God so far that he's kept me from falling. Also, I think shared pastoral leadership helps display the unity of God to the church. For you have three, at this time, we have three different pastors that come from three different backgrounds. They have three different sets of skills, three different sets of experience. And somehow, God is able to bring us together and allow us to be unified. So that when you hear something come out of my mouth, or something come out of John's mouth, or something that comes out of Terry's mouth, it's unified. And though we don't always disagree, or we don't always agree, by the end, we do. Because we pray and we care for unity of the church. Shared pastoral leadership also helps us to share wisdom. Shared pastoral leadership also helps in pastoral care. So as we end our time today, as we look at the shared pastoral leadership from Scripture and see that we can embrace this because God has given it to us, I want us to be aware of the responsibility for the church. If God is going to do something great in this church... It's not going to be done through the pastors. It's not going to be done through the deacons. It's going to be done through the church. And one of the greatest things that you can do for us as pastors is to encourage 
us. It is not easy to be a pastor. I'm reminded of the statistics of, that makes pastorship hard. The, the results of, of pastoring and how it translates to the children. For over and over and over again, children fall away if their fathers are pastors or missionaries. So pray for us. I, I just pray that you spend time praying for your pastors. Pray for us that we would have vision. Pray for us that we have understanding. Pray for us in our devotional lives that we would have an intimate walk with the Lord. Pray for us in preaching that we would carefully preach and Care for the word of God. Pray for our character. Pray that we wouldn't fall. Pray that we would stay together. Pray that we would stay close to the Lord. Pray for our marriages. Our wives have to endure some great stuff. So pray for us and pray for our wives, but also pray for our families. Pray for our children. Love on our children. If you don't love on us, that's fine. Love on our children. For they need to see the face of Christ in you. Together, I know God is going to do great things, and God is doing great things. And I want you to know that I feel blessed by you. You are a loving church. You are an encouraging church. But keep it up. So together, we may continue to carry out the mission that God has given this church. Let's pray. Father, thank you for loving us. Thank you for giving us the church. But also, God, thank you for giving us your words that we would know how we are to live in this body of Christ. And Father, as we go now, as some go on to Sunday school, Father, may you continue to have our thoughts be around the benefits of pastoral leadership and shared pastoral leadership, but also help us to be aware of how we fit into the ministry of the church. God, also go with us this week. And whatever this week has for us, whether it be joy or pain, excitement or devastation, Father, may our eyes always look to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You're at this time dismissed uh, to go to Sunday school. Thank you for being here.